Are you at a career crossroads and thinking about what's next for you? For career change tips, stories and resources, sign up to our newsletter at whatshedidnext.com.au. I've come to realise that it's actually okay not to be like, okay, this is the one thing that I'm here for. Um, and actually, maybe it's just a journey of continuing to collect skills and experiences and to build a really rich tapestry of things that you can experience and offer. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of What She Did Next. I'm your host, Jackie Uwe, and this is a podcast where I talk to women about their inspiring career changes. The idea that we're meant to be one thing in our career isn't the right fit for all of us. And for my guest today, doing things differently has made for an impressive and fascinating CV. Melissa Chan has been a career changer throughout her working life, driven by a desire to learn and embrace new experiences. During her 15-year career, she's done everything from teaching yoga to advising a prime minister. And she's also spent time in both the corporate and creative fields, as a management consultant, writer, and documentary maker. She is what you might call the ultimate slashy, or what these days is often referred to as multi-passionate. By nurturing her different skills and interests into a flourishing career, she's gone against the grain of what we were taught when we were younger, that we had to be one thing, and we had to figure out what that was pretty quickly. Mel has some great insights to share about her journey of self-discovery, and how she's learned to be okay with treading her own path. We also find out a bit about her new business venture and some of her career highlights, including working with none other than Malcolm Turnbull during and post his political career. So please welcome from Sydney, Melissa Chan. So Mel, let's start with your background. You're obviously someone who's worn a number of different hats in your career, but I was curious to know what you thought you were going to be when you were growing up. when I was about 10 I actually thought I wanted to be a dentist which I'm slightly horrified to admit for some reason (laughs) Um, because I really really liked my dentist at the time and I wanted to be just like her so that was the main reason and then then I thought about it and I thought I probably didn't want to look at teeth every day all day so yes quickly put that one away it's funny you know like I when I reflect on the things as a kid that I really enjoyed doing I loved I used to make little picture books and used to write stories and illustrate them um that was something I did a lot actually um Mm. and then yeah I guess I hadn't really thought so much about what I would do when I was when I was all grown up Well, you did go on to study media and communications at uni, but it wasn't long before you made your first career change into quite a different field. So can you tell us a bit about that and what prompted that move? Yeah, so I guess so. I'd spent a couple of years um, in that sort of media space. I'd also worked at a PR agency as well. And I came to realise, particularly when I was working at the agency, that I didn't really understand business um, and that felt quite important. You know, I had, we're working on clients that were either in banking or some kind of commercial field. And I just, I, you know, you'd write the press release, but I felt like there was a part, there was a real gap in my knowledge somewhere. And so I thought that, um, you know, I guess I wanted to learn more in that space. And I ended up changing and going in, doing a master's of commerce uh, to kind of get some business expertise and knowledge as well. And so I, at that point, I hadn't decided 
if I was going to go back with the business knowledge and use that in the media sort of PR space or use that to springboard into something else. Well, then you discovered something called management consulting, (laughs) which was the thing you ended up springboarding into. So can you tell us a bit about what that is exactly and why did you love it? It's such a good question. You know, when you say that you're a (laughs) consultant to someone, it's so broad and meaningless in so many ways. Um, So I guess I came across this idea of management consulting and I'd had one of my sister's friends who was a management consultant and I met with her quite early on. My sister was like, oh, you know, why don't you talk to Amy and and see, you know, what she does. And basically at at the highest level, it's business problem solving. And so, and particularly for at the executive level. So if you're a CEO Mm -hmm. of a business and you want to think about the direction of your company, whether that's to expand into a new market or trying to solve a problem, whether that's operational or what to do in the next five years, um, a management consultant, I guess, comes in and consults to management effectively and helps them figure out some of these problems. And what did you enjoy about that? Because you'd been quite a words person and I gather this sort of role. I mean, you studied, you majored in finance, I think, when you did your master's. So clearly you were going down more of a numerate analytical path. Yes. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, how, how did that switch work? It was a challenge, you know, and I had all sorts of imposter syndrome um, when I first started in management consulting um, because I'd come from an arts sort of writing PR type background. You know, when I moved into management consulting, they typically recruit, you know, engineers who can think really laterally and are quite practical in their problem solving and analytical actuaries, economists. The types of people that I was working with were quite different to where I'd been Mm. before. And so it was actually a really, it was, I would say, some of the best training I ever had. And that was particularly on the job. You know, um, I worked for a company called Port Jackson Partners, which had a really excellent graduate program. And so they Mm -hmm. would go through, you know, modules on Excel, how to use Excel, how to build a spreadsheet, how to create a model, um, and also just ways of thinking. So management consultants, you often have a, a, you know, 20 something coming into a big, you know, ASX listed company telling the CEO or, or the, you know, C-suite how to, you know, run a business. And so often, um, you have to really, uh, have tools, I guess, in order to help you do that. And so they really teach you how to think, how to question, how to critique things and how to use analysis and data to back that all up. So, For me, it was incredibly scary. I think I spent, you know, a lot of time really doubting my abilities. Um, But I was also in an environment where I was just thrown in to learn. So that was really helpful. And so how did you then come to be working for Malcolm Turnbull? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I, um, when I was doing my master's, um, which was shortly after my PR sort of stint. So Malcolm Turnbull was the federal member for Wentworth at that time. And so I started working for him while I was studying, um, then went off and did my own thing, consulting and a few different firms and things like that. And yeah, when, when Malcolm became prime minister in 2015, It was an opportunity, you know, when the new prime minister comes in, they hire a team around them. And so I I guess I got a call to to go and uh, to to work in Canberra. So for me, it really felt like an opportunity to do something that was really different. You know, I wasn't, hadn't really done a lot of politics prior to that. I guess um, I worked with Malcolm 
um, when I was studying just because it was of interest and I guess good exposure as well to another industry. Uh, but yeah, it felt, I guess, work being, having the opportunity to work in the Prime Minister's office you know, is such a time sensitive opportunity as well. You never know how things are going to play out. And so uh, it felt like a really cool one to, to follow. Mm. And so how had the roles you'd been doing until that point set you up for that role? Was it quite a different role to what you'd been doing? To a degree. I mean, the kind of role that I had in that office, um, so I was working quite closely with the Deputy Chief of Staff and he was looking after the advisors, the policy advisors, as well as um, some parts of the press office. And so in a way, it kind of drew on a few different of my skills. When we first, um, you know, when I first started, I guess I kind of drew a lot on sort of the management consulting skills around how we should organize the office or thinking about, you know, it's effectively, you know, when you start a new government, it's effectively like starting a new company in a way. So like how, how should that run? What that should mm. look like? Um, what are the, the channels of communication between people? And so that was, um, that was something that I felt that I kind of had some experience in at least. Um, but then for definitely there were so many other areas that I didn't really understand at all in terms of how parliament works and politics, um, mm. question time, all that sort of stuff. So how did you know you could do that job? <laughs> and, and what gave you the confidence to say, yeah, I'll take that on? Yeah. Look, I think that every time there's been a change, um, whether that was you know, working for Malcolm Turnbull or whether that was a management consultant, there's always been, you know, apprehension. There's always been a, a gosh, can I actually do this question in the back of my mind? Um, I think what I've always tried to follow is this idea of just where can I learn and what's going to give me a really great opportunity to do that. Um, I think knowing also that you're moving into an environment where you are supported and um, where it helps to facilitate that growth is really important. So I think I've often, you know, working in that in, with Malcolm Turbo, he's an incredibly um, supportive and generous person in the way that he really wants to help his team grow and learn as well. And there's it's very flat hierarchy. In fact, there's no right. real hierarchy in a way. And so every person has um, an opportunity to say what they think and what they feel. Um, mm. And so, you know, having that and knowing um, that what you what you thought was an idea or, or, you know, things or your your opinions about something um, were going to be well received like that. That really helped as well. Mm. And you did go on to work for Malcolm Turnbull post his political career as well, but I gather that was quite a different shift again. Are you able just to briefly uh, give us an idea of what you were doing? Yep. Yep. So, um, so yes, post politics, I went and worked with Malcolm again for a couple of years. At the time, he was writing his memoirs, A Bigger Picture, um, and so it was a really cool opportunity to help understand how how to write a book and and how that whole publishing process worked, which was interesting also right, right. to me, just on a personal level, um, just because I love writing. And then at the same time, I guess he was um, looking at going into more sort of the venture capital space as well, um, and so that was a really great opportunity to to get exposure to the staff up world and pictures and how that whole landscape operates as well. 
And, I mean, you also did spend periods of time as a freelance writer yourself. Uh, you produced an incredible documentary series last year called Women's Work. And I know you've got a brand new venture coming up, which we'll talk a little bit about. But I was thinking about this, and I think perhaps you're the definition of what Elizabeth Gilbert calls the hummingbird. Have you come across her theory of the hummingbird and the jackhammers at all? No, I'd love to, I'd love to know more. <laughs> when I was talking to another guest about this recently, and basically it's this idea that it's coming it comes back to your purpose in life right so there's this idea that there's jackhammers and there's hummingbirds and the jackhammers are the people that kind of know what they want to do from the outset they you know go out into the world um following this one big passion and that's you know they hammer away at that they kind of know from the get-go what they want to do whereas hummingbirds tend to float around try different things learn about what they like what they don't like you know collect up all these skills and experiences along the way which you know actually makes them a really valuable person to have because they're she kind of describes it as this cross-pollinating of skills between (laughs) different industries and you know I think if you're designed that way which I probably am a bit that way too you know I think that's fine. And she says, you know, that's perfectly fine to be that. <laughs> yeah. But we we're often told that we're supposed to have this purpose. And if mm-hmm. you don't know what it is mm-hmm. yet, you know, it can feel incredibly stressful. Absolutely. I mean, is that something you identify oh, with? 100% and more. Um, <laughs> you know, I I um, have reflected a lot on this and, and there have definitely been times throughout my career where, you know, I've gone from one thing to the next or reflected on what to do next. And, you know, often being like, God, like, I just wish I wanted, to, you know, I just wanted to be like a lawyer or like a doctor or a teacher or something that is quite defined in terms of progression in some ways, you know, or a specialist in something. And so I definitely had um, pangs of of longing (laughs) for that (laughs) that type of life. Um, But, you know, when I reflect on, I guess, my career, if you like, um, or even just my life to date, um, a lot of it has just been a process of self-discovery or getting Mm -hmm. to know myself and being okay with how that presents in my life as well. And Mm. I think for me... um, Again, I guess coming back to the learning point or, you know, what really for me, like what what sparks something inside of me, you know, what sparks joy or um, nourishes different parts of me. And I've come to um, understand that, you know, for me, I guess in that hummingbird, air, you know, sense of the metaphor, there are different areas, different parts of me that enjoy different things. You know, like I was a yoga teacher for a bit of time. Um, you know, mm. I like the writing. I enjoy the strategy. And there are, like, they do feed and each other as well. There's, there's kind of this beautiful relationship between them all in some way that, you know, is probably a bit more unconscious on many levels. But I've come to realize that it's actually okay not to be like, okay, this is the one thing that I'm here for. Um, and actually mm. maybe it's just a journey of continuing to collect skills and experiences and to build a really rich tapestry of things that you can experience and offer. Mm. But yeah, I think it's a bit at odds with probably what we were taught growing up or what was the norm. Absolutely. So speak. You know, yeah. as you say, you kind of were supposed to pick this one thing and you were supposed to know what that one thing was straight off the bat. It's so overwhelming, you know, and it's so, it's, it places so much pressure on people to know, like to have to know. Like I still, you know, in my thirties, I'm like, gosh, like, <laughs> you know, will this ever like materialize in some way? But I think, yeah, just yeah. going with the, the journey is really important. 
would you say are some of the biggest obstacles you've had to come in making your various career changes? Like we talked a bit about that identity shift when you made that first transition to management consulting. You know, would, would you say that sort of having to, sh- to adapt and change who you, who you are to an extent or how you're perceived was one of the toughest things or were there other hurdles that yeah. come to mind? I mean, I think that's definitely one, um, the being thrown into environments that were quite different. You know, when I first, my, when I worked at Port Jackson Partners, it was highly analytical. And like I mentioned before, a very particular type of person was usually recruited um, mm. or with a particular background. Um, and then I went and worked at a different manic, like consulting company that was more um, innovation design thinking focused. Um, and they looked at similar problems, but more from a design perspective. So they were hiring graphic designers, industrial designers, um, you know, and it was really interesting to be a part of that company because over there they were like, wow, Mel, like you've got, I think on my farewell card, one of the guys wrote, thank you for your mathematical brain. And I just laughed at myself (laughs) because I never, ever thought that that, those were words that I'd associate with myself, (laughs) particularly having come from, you know, a, a more traditional consulting firm where, you know, there was actuaries and economists who I felt were far more mathematical than I was. (laughs) It really is, I think, something around, um, yeah, like you can really throw yourself in different environments and people will perceive you in different ways and you get to learn and uncover different parts of yourself as a result. And what about the financial transition of making your various career changes? Like I know we've surveyed lots of women. Um, we're developing an online course later this year. And I guess one of the big worries that comes up for women is that, um, you know, leaving potentially a secure income to try something different. There's, you know, a start a business. I mean, you've freelance, you've consulted, you've probably been on various salaries <laughs> over your career. Absolutely. What have you learned about planning for or managing that? the financial transition that can come with making a career change. Absolutely. I think there is definitely a financial transition and there are going to be trade-offs in reality, depending on what you choose to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Going back to do my master's, taking time out for that, two years, and then also, you know, accumulating a a great sum of debt, um, you know, which thankfully helped. I was on help, so that really helped as well. But I think that for me, um, it was really thinking about what was most important to me at that particular point in time. And so sometimes money has been something that I've been more geared towards and sometimes it hasn't been. And so you mentioned freelancing when I was, after I was working in the Prime Minister's office um, after that election in 2016, I took some time off to think about what I wanted to do next. And I ended up um, becoming a freelancer and I was a freelancer mm. for, for, for a number of years. Um, and that, I mean, you know, you can, um, you can make some good money, um, as a contract management consultant, you know, a good day rate. Um, but I also was really interested at the time in pursuing more in, um, the writing sphere. And so I worked as a copywriter in an advertising agency for probably, you know, like, yeah, less than half of what I might have earned as a day rate, um, mm. as a management consultant. But at the same time, I felt I was learning a lot and it was actually really nourishing something inside as well. So there are definitely trade-offs and I do, I do believe that if I had stayed in a strict corporate role, then maybe, you know, I would have had more stable income or maybe on a higher salary bracket, um, mm. than where I might be now. But I think it just comes down to what you really value. And so for me, it's been the experience and the richness of that. Mm. 
I think that's really interesting because, you know, we do, and obviously, you know, I'm very conscious that we all have financial responsibilities. I'm not saying, uh, pretending that that's an easy thing to, to juggle, but yeah, I don't think we always think about what something might be, what an opportunity might be offering us beyond the money. So, you know, you obviously there's a survive and thrive figure we talk about. You need a certain level of income. But as you say, like if a, if a job or, you know, a particular opportunity is going to offer you the chance to develop some new skills or to try, you know, a different industry that you hadn't had the chance to be part of before, you know, I guess it's about looking at the other the other types of value that it offers. Exactly. And, you know, part of the the comfort, I guess, for me was, you know, when I was freelancing or experimenting in various things was, you know, you can always go back and get a job or you can always Mm -hmm. go back to something if you need to. You know, we're very resourceful as humans and we have a great survival instinct. And Mm -hmm. so if you're unable to pay your rent or pay your bills, you'll make it work somehow if if the drive is really there. Yeah. Yeah. And you are a strategy guru, Mel, as we've said. Thank you. (laughs) What would you say? (laughs) What would you say is the most useful strategy or tool that's helped you on your career change journey? Ooh, it's a good question. You know, there's there's been different things that have helped at different stages. Um, When I wanted to go into management consulting, I don't think I could necessarily have made the leap so seamlessly without having done my master's. Um, And so that investment in education was really important at that point in time. Outside of that, um, in terms of strategies or tools, I think it's just been a willingness to try things. Um, You know, when I was working as a producer for the film Women's Work last year or a couple of years, um, I had no experience at all in film. Um, you know, I, I really, really um, had to learn very quickly and our director, Ben Strum, really helped me get up that, you know, learning curve very quickly. But in that, I think the strategy is, again, just being open to learning and also having, like, for me, I think my journey has very much been about confidence. So having the confidence that, you know, what you can bring to that project. While I might not have worked in the film industry before, I've definitely um, project managed things um, and have, you know, done a lot of writing. And so I, you know, kind of bringing those skill sets into something that was quite foreign um, really just needs, you know, personal backing, like a knowing that that it is possible. Mm. And I think what's interesting, though, is that you gain that confidence from trying new things. Like I noticed um, one thing you said was that you wished the one thing you wish you'd known before making your various career changes is that you won't know everything and that's okay. And I think that is a real barrier for some people, particularly they've been in a role for 10, 15, 20 years, the thought of being the new person in the room or, you know, starting over is tough. But you know, we say this to kids all the time, just try it because we know it'll build their confidence, but we forget to do that ourselves sometimes. It's so right? true. <laughs> it's really about just um, trying and it doesn't have to be, I, you know, I completely understand for people if they've been in a particular industry or job for 10, 15 years, you know, it can feel like such an overwhelming, insurmountable big step to take, you know, and, and sometimes it doesn't have to be the huge big thing that we make it out to be. You know, it's easy to say, just quit and do, you know, and try it. And But also there are other ways of doing it in parallel with what you're already doing. You mm. know, you can be really creative in the way that you approach wanting change. Um, maybe there, and, and that strategy will be different for each person. Maybe, you know, you could be um, in a full-time job, but also learning something on the side or doing freelance or side projects on the side. You know, the film project that I did was, 
in addition to my full-time job, which was actually a little bit crazy at the time. <laughs> it was a very time-consuming and energy-intensive, but, you know, like uh, there's just different ways to approach change, I think. Yes. Well, I love that you've said, I try to live my life by asking myself if what I'm doing is leaving a trail of which I'm proud of, be it interactions with people, the work that I do, or the way I spend my time. I think that's a really good definition of success, right? Like we talk about success looking like different things for different people. Mm. I really like that. Thank you. <laughs> is that something I guess you've come to looking back on the things you've done or was that something that was a driver for you from the beginning? Um, I think there's a bit of reflection in there. I remember I, I, you know, I came across a post-it that I must have journaled somewhere and it was like, yeah, are you, it was a question like, are you leaving a path that you're, a trail that you're proud of? Are you leaving a trail that you're proud of? Mm. And I was like, gosh, that's insightful. And I don't think I actually made it up myself. I think I read it somewhere and jotted it down. <laughs> but it felt really important to me because even now when I project out 5, 10, 15 years, I don't necessarily know where that's what that's going to look like but I do know that this is probably going to sound quite um somber but I do know that life is short and you know we will eventually not be on this on this earth and so you know what 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 is the most that I can have here in the time that I have well, I know um, that more recently you've been streamlining your life to do less. Yes. Uh, you've said simplicity and focus are now your priorities, but you are about to embark on a whole new venture in what sounds again. like a completely <laughs> different field once again. Yeah. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I've been really interested in creating things um, and that's what I've realised uh, for me is quite exciting. And so whether that was working on the film project or doing some of my own things, I really love this idea of conceptualizing something and bringing it to life. Um, and in addition to that, um, what I've also really valued, particularly from my freelancing days, was a sense of flexibility and autonomy over my time and the way that I would like to work. And so with those two things combined, I guess I've been thinking about where to next. And an opportunity has come up um, to look at building uh, regional accommodation um, and so, yeah, for me, that's quite an interesting thing because one, it's, you know, um, a new venture. So there's a lot of, um, conceptualizing and deep thinking and, and building that needs to happen. Um, secondly, the area itself, I guess, um, is interesting to me because I've been reflecting a lot about the way that I like to live and work and play. And then also how, I guess, just people or humans potentially like to live, work and play as well. And, you know, we've just gone through two years of, you know, hard lockdowns and, and various things. And I can really feel that there's a shift in the way that people want to work, whether mm. that's more flexibly or how they work um, or the times that they work. Um, and there's also like a wanting for deeper connection. And that's either with people because you realize when you're only in a, you know, five kilometer radius bubble and you're not allowed to see people that connection is really important. So connecting with people, connecting with yourself or just connecting back to the environment. Um, and so with all of that in mind, I guess I've just been thinking through, you know, what will life actually, what could life look like for people, you know, now that we potentially have more options and we've had a rethink of what we really value in life. Mm -hmm. And so this new opportunity is kind of looking at playing in that sphere. So how can we um, build accommodation or build um, spaces, I guess, effectively? How do we create beautiful spaces where people can work, play and rest? Um, and what might that look like? 
Wow. Well, that sounds very intriguing. I know there's there's only so much you can say at this stage because it'll be launching later in the year. Yeah, but it yes. sounds yeah, very exciting. Still figuring it out, but very exciting. <laughs> so we're all about women making brave choices on this podcast and you've made some pretty brave leaps in your life and career. What would you say has been your bravest moment and how did you find the courage to go for it? I think just coming back to the freelancing, I think that was probably the biggest jump that I made. Um, it was the first time I'd really stepped out of the box in a way and had to back myself. And I think the courage really came from a deep desire to change something. It was like I had this voice inside of myself that would not shut up and <laughs> was only getting louder. And, um, and to ignore that was would just feel like an injustice to myself. Mm. It's interesting. I heard someone say recently that, you know, this idea, when especially if you've been thinking about it for a while or it's been niggling at you for a while, there's such a good feeling that purely comes just from making the change, like that sense yes. of control almost. You know, you've changed something in your life that really mattered to you. And so even, you know, it's not to say that every change is going to work out perfectly or whatever it may be, but, you know, that sense of accomplishment almost that can come from having made the change is almost worth it in itself. Exactly. <laughs> And, you know, every change is reversible. It's not necessarily permanent. You know, you can kind of flow with whatever direction you end up deciding to take. Yeah. Mm. And I think a lot of us find inspiration from other women too. Who are some of the women that you look to and who inspire you? Yeah. So, um, we definitely say my mum. <laughs> my mum was actually the, what I would say, the OG career changer. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So growing up, my mum was a very dedicated stay-at-home mum. And so she, you know, really looked after us beautifully and was so devoted. And then when we grew up and were at school at various ages, um, when my younger brother particularly was um, in primary school, she decided to become a piano teacher. And it was just so oh, wow. cool to watch because I was a teenager by then. And seeing my mom, you know, just suddenly run a piano a teaching business um, <laughs> and something she'd never done before and had never tried before, but she had a deep love for classical music, loved teaching yeah. and just started to build up a business through word of mouth. It was really incredible to watch. And if you could recommend one thing to watch, read or listen to for any aspiring career changes out there, what would you recommend? This is such a hard question. <laughs> I was <laughs> reflecting and I was like, you know, at various points of my career or journey, they've always been, you know, some books or some whatever that have really spoken to me at various points. And so narrowing it down to one was is, is quite tricky. However, um, you mentioned Elizabeth <laughs> Gilbert earlier on, and I do love Big Magic. Like, I think I read that quite oh, earlier yes. on in my career. And I remember highlighting certain things and, you know, I'm a terrible, you know, writer of notes in books and things. And so um, that I felt really helpful because it allowed one thing that I really loved in that book was she talked about fear. And that's something that I've really kind of grappled with throughout my career about, you know, taking the step or if I was good enough and this undercurrent of mm. anxiety in some ways. And so, you know, there's a wanting in some level to kind of be fearless and strong and brave and just do it. And what I loved about Liz Gilbert's um, Big Magic was she was like, you know, it's actually okay to have the fear. It's okay to to give voice to that or to allow it to be heard and seen um, because to pretend otherwise, well, is to pretend otherwise. And, and mm. she really talked about – 
you know, the fear can be in the car as you're driving down, you know, the lane of life, if you like, but it doesn't have to be in the driver's seat. And I really loved that because, um, you know, we can try and be really gung-ho and rally ourselves to, to make the big change. But, you know, sometimes the other parts of us are there for a reason and they're just maybe yeah. wanting to keep us safe and that's okay. And we can listen to it sometimes. So it doesn't have to always be the leader. Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, and lastly, if you could offer one tip to someone listening who's really feeling in need of a change, but maybe they don't know if they're making the right decision or they're not even sure what else they could do, what's your best tip for them? Take one step. You know, sometimes when we think about the big thing, you know, even when I think about this new big venture and I wrote a big to-do list and it was incredibly <laughs> overwhelming and I looked at it almost wanted to cry, but um, <laughs> with excitement as well. <laughs> but um, sometimes all the changes come from breaking it all the way down to like, what is the smallest thing that I can do now? you know, and, and that yeah. might be reading that book or um, signing up for that course or talking to a friend. Little steps make for great changes. Yes, that is very good advice. Thank you so much, Mel. I really appreciate My you pleasure. sharing your story Thanks, today. <laughs> really appreciate it. That was Melissa Chan, strategy consultant, writer and producer of the documentary series Women's Work, which you can find at womenswork.org.au. If you enjoyed this conversation, we'd love if you could share the link with a friend or leave us a kind review. And if you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn at What She Did Next Podcast or subscribe to our newsletter at whatshedidnext.com.au. What She Did Next is produced and hosted by me, Jackie Uwe. Our associate producer is Catherine Cavill and this podcast is made on Darrawal Country. Thanks for listening.